0: Psalm 14, as we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I hope that you have been enjoying the book of Psalms. It is a, it is a great blessing to know where these verses are, to count on them. It's funny because what I quoted on Sunday is what we're reading tonight that people said that they are good. There's no one good, no, not one. Well, where is that uh, in the Bible? So uh, we'll see those tonight. We just see an amazing man who had lots of failures, David, and yet draw close to God. Isn't it great? That you can be used by God and be a failure. (laughs) That's not a billboard message, is it? (laughs) Come to God, be a failure. Wait, what? Wait, use your failure. There you go. Scratch it out. Use. That's what God does. He uses us uh, for his purposes and for the kingdom of God. I'll tell you, if, if uh, God had not picked Peter, I'm not sure a whole lot of people would be in the kingdom. I mean, he is just a tremendous example of somebody who put their foot in their mouth all the time and yet said, Lord, where would we go? You have the keys to life. And so Psalm 14, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart, no God. And they are corrupt, and they have done abominable works, and there is none who does good. Now the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God, and they have all turned aside, and they have all together become corrupt, and there is no one who does good, (laughs) no, not one. And all of the workers of iniquity, no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and notice they do not call upon the Lord. And there they are in great fear, For God is with the generation of the righteous, and you shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. And oh, that the salvation of Israel would come upon Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we just ask that it would accomplish its purposes tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, very famous psalm, Psalm 14, lot to highlight, lot to underline here, but let's get into the no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Notice that the there is, it is in italics, which means it was added by the translator, so it's better, no God. So, the fool has said in his heart, no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable things, and there is no one who does good. Now, in in, in our modern world, we have atheism. Uh, We have atheists. But in in the days of the Bible, no one knew what that meant. It it wasn't something common. Everybody had a God. So to not have a God, you were an idiot. That's what the fool means, is that you are not realizing... (laughs) the the greatness of god now i want you to think about this in our modern world that we live in so we have atheists today and they say there is no god now think about how um incredibly i was going to say moronic that is but um just uh, in man's pride to think that he has obtained all knowledge in all of the universe that he has gone to every place on planet Earth, every planet, every star system, and he has come back, he's written a report, and said, I can't find him. That he can be at all places at one time, right? And he's been everywhere, he has read every volume, and man has (laughs) the chutzpah to say that there is no God. That is where we are today. Now, why do people say No god because they want to be that god and they don't want the rules now see that here's the thing about this let me just make a side note we say rules but it it is the guidelines that god has for humanity they're not bad rules they're good they're for your purpose to protect you Uh, listen uh, when you were a kid you didn't understand those rules did you but when you became a parent when you got a job, when you had kids, you realize, oh, oftentimes we don't look at that. And, and the world looks at it and says, rules, I don't want those rules. I want to live how I want to live. And so they just say, um, no God, well, but he's there. No, I don't believe in him, but he's still there. And so David says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, no God. By the way, that word fool, just for your own, it's uh, in Hebrew, it's uh, Nabal. Now, if you know anything about King David, you'll know that he came up against fool. And when I read it in the Bible, I don't say Nabal, I just call him fool. Now, how bad of a kid do you have to be? When your parent just says, I would just call him fool. Think about that. David uh, comes up against Nabal, and Nabal basically describes for us exactly what a fool is. He wanted the life that he wanted without any reservation, without anybody telling what to do, let alone this punk David. And if it wasn't for Abigail, Nabal's wife, Nabal would be a dead man. She goes to David, brings him food, and says, listen, I know... His name means fool, and he's a fool. But don't kill him because you are going to be king. And so I'm wondering if David is thinking, oh, I got that picture in my head. I know exactly who the fool is who says no God. Please note with me that they are corrupt, which means that deep down inside, as Paul says in in Romans chapter 1, that they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Remember there, I, I know I use this all the time, there's a box on the stage, uh, work with me. There's a box on the stage with the tiger inside of it and the, the person who is the fool or the no-godder, go, that's right, no-godder, he sits on the box and says, there's no tiger inside. He is suppressing the truth. And yet he is deceiving himself into thinking that if I say there is no God or there is no tiger long enough, there really won't be a tiger in there. And so they are corrupt in what they are doing. Not only that, they have done abominable works because when you don't have rules and you don't have guidelines, then you go down the path that you go down. We are in a nation which is no God. We are removing God from every public platform there is. They can't even pray at a high school football game. They can't sing Christmas carols if it's got Jesus in it. We can't talk about Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and on and on it goes and we take crosses down and we we are sanitizing and removing God completely. And so what is going to happen is that you are going to have people that are going to do what they did in the last couple of years. The founding fathers said it this way, this republic, remember, church, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. They said this republic only works if you have a moral people. Everybody got that? So when you leave the morality section out of, it, of this nation, not anybody else's nation, this nation, because this nation and its founding documents were based upon what? how do we govern a, a people who are moral? And when you leave that and you now tell people from 1920 on, there is no God, there's no God, and it's been replaced by Darwinian evolution, and on and on it goes, then you can just, well, you can riot and burn down cities all you want. And you can do whatever you want. You can change genders, and you can call them 35 different genders. Listen, let me make it real clear. Are you ready for it? This is going to be shocking for everybody. I made this statement before. There are two genders, and everybody came out of a female. You got that? Not a birthing person. I mean, doesn't that just stink for Mother's Day? Happy birthing person's bir- uh, day. Are we going to change the ca- hallmark as all scrapping all their Mother's Day cards now and the balloons? Think about how crazy we have become when we can't even figure out the plumbing. Amen? God doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what he built and he put in there. And when you come out, the doctor goes, yep, that's it. And writes it down. They want to take the gender off the birth certificates now. It is become, I can't make this stuff week to week. I can't do it. If I tried, you'd be like, no, I saw that article. (laughs) That's true. Listen, they have done abominable works. Why? Because they say no God. And ultimately, we know, church, that they themselves have become their God. We're still in verse 1. Notice that person cannot do good because they don't have a moral framework. Do you see that? When we get into the next chapter, David's going to talk about those who are coming into the temple of, of God, in the tabernacle of God, and whom God allows in there. We're going to see the difference in there but here it's those who are doing no good because they have no moral framework. Notice what the response of God is to the no-godders. Verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men, and it says, To see if there are any who understand. The idea is comprehend what he has done and who seek God. He's looking down. His eyes go to and fro, uh 1 uh, Chronicles or 2 Chronicles 16 9. One of those, it's Chronicles. It says he his eyes searched to and through throughout the whole earth to show himself approved on those who love him. God is always looking for those who would understand and seek him. But notice the response. They have how much is all? They have all turned aside. <laughs> they have all become corrupt. Now that I mean if you if You're reading this, you're like, David, are we going to get perky at all? Is it going to be good news? Because you look at it and you go, man is doomed. Amen. Because man wants what man wants, which is no God. And he is getting that in the book of Revelation as we're going through. They have altogether become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. So you might want to underline that or highlight that so you know, so you can show people when they say, well, I'm good. And you know what they're saying when they say, I'm I'm good? They are saying, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. They're always measuring themselves to somebody. I'm not Charles Manson. I'm not Richard Nixon. I'm not, I won't go any more (laughs) politicians. Do you see that? What they're doing is they're putting the standard against somebody they know who is bad. And listen, you look like a choir boy next to Charles Manson. But that's not the standard. Who's the standard? Jesus. Jesus. Well, geez, now you got to say that. Now no one, yes, now no one is good. As a follower of Christ, I hope that you have this always in your head. Because oftentimes we can think this, I'm doing pretty good. Even on our best days, Paul said, my, my works are like filthy rags before the Lord I know who I am I know who he is and when I know who I am and I know who he is then I'm able to bow down and put my face to the ground and say Lord I'm just pond scum thanks for letting me in anyway they've all together become corrupt and there is none who does good no not one and have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge That means they don't have a knowledge of God because they are doing what they are doing. Notice what they the result of that, they eat up my people as they eat bread, and they do not call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, but they will call upon the name of the Lord when they get something really bad, right? And this is where the opportunity comes in your life. You got a family member, you got a coworker, right? They are a no godder. And they don't want to have anything. They love their life. They love their sin. They love their whatever. But they know who you are. They know you have a Bible. They know your life is different. They know you don't drink. You know, you don't chew and you don't go with girls who do. So they know know you're different. Don't encourage me. Just don't. And what will happen is this, their life will crash. They will not call anybody but you because they know that deep down inside, you know the truth and you know Jesus. And what will they say? Could you please pray with me? Could you pray for my mom? Could you pray for this? It's amazing what happens because there are no atheists in foxholes because everybody finds themselves in the foxhole in life. Everybody on planet Earth. Where the shots are coming over their head and they're running out of ammo. And it's the Battle of Bastogne. And if you know history, you'll get that later. That was one of the worst battles of World War II. I don't even know how our troops even survived that time. Everybody will be in that position and they will call out to you, and this is your opportunity. Don't say to them, oh, now who's calling? (laughs) Don't do that. Say, absolutely, what can I do? Let's put it on our church prayer chain. Let's pray for you. Let's ask God. But let me tell you, let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. Have the opportunity to share at that time. Verse 5 says, And they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. At the end of the day, the no-godders know what is right and what is wrong because God has programmed it into every human being. We have a moral code that God has given us. And they also know that God is with the righteous. Notice how David... uh, uh, tells us in verse 6, he says, You shame the counsel of the poor, speaking of the no-godders, but the Lord is his refuge. Notice how people put down your faith and then jump on board when they need that faith. i got to read these lyrics at some point. Uh, there's a song by an artist that we have on our upbeat hour, and the lyrics are great. He says, Nobody is praying, and uh, so I'm going to blow the whole thing, but he goes, isn't it funny how people are sitting in the pews, they're sleeping, he says, but when people cry out to you, they think you're sleeping on them, all right, I'm just going to pass it out. I will. I'll print it out for you. I, I've been meeting to quote the entire uh, song because it's very powerful. It, it speaks of what people do in church and people do in this world and when there's real problems and only then do they cry out to God. And this is what David is saying. David is encouraging us with this, verse 7. Oh, that sal- salvation of Israel would come out of Zion... And when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. And so David looks into the future and he sees the salvation that comes out of Zion, that's Christ. But also the second part is that when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, May 14, 1948, and now the world is different. Everything is different. And if the commentators had lived after 1948 and writing their stuff about Revelation and Israel before then, they would all have their theology different because no one thought that Israel would ever come back as a nation, even though God time and time again said that that would happen. Just It's the patience and the long-suffering of God. He just had to work a few things out. And it says, when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. I'll tell you, uh, there there should be nobody in Israel that is complaining. (laughs) They're back in their land. They are on the land that Abraham walked to from Ur the Chaldees, Father Abraham. They are on the land that David possessed. They are on the land that Solomon possessed and on and on it goes psalm 15 a psalm of david lord who may abide in your tabernacle and this is one of those question psalms so he poses the question and then gives us the answer through it who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell on your holy hill And notice with me, it says, He who walks uprightly, works righteousness, speaks with the truth in his heart, does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, and whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own herd and does not change, and he who does not put out money for usury, nor takes a bribe against the innocent, who does these things shall not be moved. So David gives us a little insight of who will be in heaven. Notice with me, he says, He who walks uprightly, that means has a good rapport With those around and they look at at that that person that woman and they say they are upright in character you don't have to worry about their character if they say they're gonna help you move in July in Myrtle Beach in a hot U-Haul rental they're gonna do it and bless their heart for it the person who is upright How about the person who works righteousness? That means right on living. Yes, works, but also right on living. They're just living a right life. And for our purposes, this applies to us as well inside of the church. Yes, on this side of the New Testament. Yes, this side of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit allows us to walk uprightly and work righteousness but also notice to speak the truth in his heart. Out of the heart proceeds all, right? So what we have in our heart is going to come out. We're going to speak forth that. We're going to live that out. And so the one that is going to abide in the tabernacle is going to have truth in their heart. And I don't know about you, but verse 3, I can't stand the backbiters. So I love that David, and I'm sure David hated it. Think about all of the gossiping that went on against David. He says, that person does not backbite with his tongue. I know I've said this over and over. We We need to stop eating each other in the church and devouring one another. This should be a place where if you fail, and let me just change that, when you fail in the church, that others are going to, Come alongside, you and you go, yep, i failed. I'm like on my 6,042th failure at CCMB. Rather than eating each other, backbiting, and going against each other. Notice how he says he doesn't do evil to his neighbor. The New Testament tells us to love our, what? Neighbor, neighbor and to do good to those who spitefully treat us. Boy, I hate that one. Those, those neighbors, like, but Jesus, you haven't met my neighbors or coworkers or my family members. They're terrible. Yes, but I died for them. And if I love them, you need to love them. Don't speak evil of his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not, not for us. Let the Lord take care of that. I know I've said this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks is when we defend ourselves, right? That's bad. Let the Lord do that. You see, if if we want to defend ourselves, then the Lord will do that and he won't help us through that. So I'd rather have him do the defending and me sit back and let him take care of that. He said, "In whose eyes a vile person is despised." But he honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. The idea is, all right, let me simplify that verse in the New Testament. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's it. I think that's one of the best in the New Testament. Simple, isn't it? Paul just says, look, knock it off. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Don't come in to the church like you used to that's that's gone Paul says that's a pile of manure now my life is different and so I'm going to say yes or are you ready for it it's okay to say should we all do it together no see how easy that is and you're not gonna hurt well you might hurt something but all right you're gonna hurt people's feelings but Isn't it better just to tell them up front, listen, I just can't do that. I've got this going on, I've got family, and and it's July. He says in verse 5, he who does not put out his own money as usury, nor does he take a bribe, against the innocent. Don't act like the world does. David saw it all around him. He saw the money changers. Jesus got upset with the money changers, how they would be bringing in foreign currency, the Roman currency, but you couldn't use Roman currency in the temple, so you had to get to temple shekels, but they would charge you exorbitant. How many of you have ever traveled, and then you try to change that dollar into something, and then you realize when you got back on the plane, I got ripped off. I was in China, my one and only time I was in China, in between, I just had a stop and layover, never left, thank God, <laughs> now I just got banned. So we we're in the airport, it was like four in the morning when the plane landed, the airport wasn't open, we were, because we're on a different time schedule, we're dying, we're hungry, right? McDonald's, thank Jesus for McDonald's sometimes overseas. It wasn't open yet. We were waiting for it, but we they wouldn't take, excuse me, they wouldn't even take our card. They're like, nope, you gotta have Chinese currency. So finally, this little uh, currency money exchanger guy opens up, and only when we got on the plane did we realize that we got ripped off about a hundred dollars. It's like you, you don't take enough of our money, you gotta take mine. And you know what it's like to be ripped off? right and David says don't do that as a believer don't take a bribe against the innocent don't say that you'll throw them in jail or put your neighbor into jail or don't don't do any of that notice he who does these things shall never be moved the idea is the one that is upright the one that is accomplished that which David said about those abiding in the tabernacle. Psalm 16. A mitchem of David, a prayer of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Now David is on the run from Saul, and we will read a lot of Psalms about David on the run. Notice what David says. David is always... Uh, reminding himself, but reminding us to put our trust in him. He says, preserve me, O Lord. Now, David was told that he was going to be king. Now, I'm not questioning David, but if God told you through Samuel with the anointing that you're going to be king, who cares if Saul is hunting you down? Do you see that? Because ultimately I know, well, God's not going to take me out because I'm supposed to be king. And so he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Let me just, all through the Psalms, we're just going to make a little one-verse application to everybody. Are you putting your trust in, in the Lord? Or are you putting it in your bank account, your 401k? or all And all of that is... Not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing to plan ahead. The Bible even tells us to do that. But who are you putting your trust in? Oh, oh, do not put your trust in the midterm election. Don't put your trust in the next presidential election, in the CDC, the WHO, or the UN, or the White House, or Congress. Who do I put my trust in? I put my trust in the Lord He says, oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Now, David does something funny because he's in the wilderness a lot and he talks to himself a lot. So what he does through these Psalms is he'll pose a question, but then he'll answer it. He'll talk in himself and he's working these things out. And he says, Lord, you are my Lord, Adonai, you are my boss. And my goodness is nothing apart from you. Listen, do you know that? That Jesus is A, your boss, and number two, that nothing good is apart from that. That means everything that you have, everything that I have, everything that God has done for this church is not because of me or the the financial brilliance of whatever. We're in an industrial complex. We're not too smart. And yet... What has God done through that, through the years? We're not on some visible, we used to be on 501, a great location, never helped our church at all. You know when we've grown the most? When people have to find us. If there's a map on the website or on the phone, find us. And if you make it, praise the Lord. He says, you are my Lord, and my goodness is nothing apart from you. Everything that we have is from God. As a believer, we all need to say yay and amen to that. Lord, thank you for all that you... Do you maybe you haven't realized this, how many times I say thank you to the Lord when I pray. It, it just... It's something the older you become as a believer, and that's not age that's maturity, the more you thank God, because you realize, I'm not smart enough to have all this happen. It is only by his goodness and faithfulness. He says, as for the saints, verse 3, who were on the earth, They are the excellent ones in whom all my delight is. And so David praises those who are following the Lord. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I was standing back there in between services. We're all praising and worship. We got our hands right. This is really fun to do for me every single week. It is a joy to come in and... uh, John said when he was in his 90s, he said, uh, he says, I'm so thankful that my children are walking in his ways. And John was just excited about what the Lord was doing in the churches. And it's exciting to come and hang out with you weirdos. Isn't it great? I mean, would you be around these people in any other setting than the church? Absolutely not. It says, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied, who hasten after other uh, gods, and their drink offering of blood I will not offer, nor take up their name on my lips. So David changes gears, and he says to the earth dwellers, We know them well in Revelation. He says, their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another little g, God. So this God is anything that is other than the true and the living God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. That means work, sex, drugs. Did I say work? Work, work, working too much a lot more working to, being away from family, all of these things. We have to be careful with that. But David makes the distinction between the true and the living God and those who follow after the little g gods. He says, let their sorrow be multiplied, who hasten, who run after those gods. He says, their drink offering and blood I will not offer. The idea is, I won't receive it in the temple. You're going to go after those gods on Monday through Saturday. Don't come in on Sunday and expect it all to be good. I'm not going to take it. Think about how many people are religious once a week. And... I mean, a lot of people get real religious on Saturday night. Lord, I'll never do that again. (laughs) Next week, Lord, I'll never do that again. And God says, I'm not going to take that. Nor take up their names on my lips. God's not even going to mention their name. He says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup And you maintain my lot. Oh, to say that our portion is with the Lord. Notice he says that you maintain. You take care of me. Now again, David can go back to the day of Samuel and the oil upon him and know that he will be king. And he will maintain that. He will take care of that. He said, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Pause. Do you know that you have a good inheritance? Do you know that you're the king's kids? Do you know that what we're about to receive will blow everybody's mind? And when we stand at the end of the book of Revelation, and it says that he creates the heavens and the earth. He says the word bara, which means he creates out of nothing with what we know today will not be what will come then. It will be completely different. And we're in redeemed bodies. I can't wait to there's popcorn, you know, bleachers. There's no heaven because the former earth and the former universe has passed away, maybe we're just floating there. This is cool. And then God declares it all. And we watch creation again. And then it's eternity. Anyone else? These are the things that are coming. He says, yes, I have a good inheritance. That's pretty good. Your earthly parents may have not given you anything, but our dad in heaven, woo, what's coming, right? So why are we so bummed out about planet Earth? That is fading away. There will be no UN in the new heaven and the new earth. There won't be any COVID. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Now, David has already mentioned this because he said, my counsel or what's inside of me is dangerous. So don't always listen to our personal counsel. Listen to the Lord. And so, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night season. How many of you uh, have dreams? Sad, there are a lot of people who don't. Oftentimes, God reveals those in our dreams. David knew that. He says, in the night season. That means when you're sleeping. He said, I have set the Lord, here's an underlining verse. I have set the Lord, how much before me? Is the Lord always before you? Now, can I help everybody? No. I preach to myself, I'm preaching to everybody. We do not do that. David knew that. David doesn't put the Lord before him always. David had a a difficult life. By his own choosing, by his own hand, he murdered somebody. And so David does not always, but he says it with his heart that he wants that to be so. He wants it to happen. Paul says... I want to do good. I'm paraphrasing. I want to do good, but uh, I'm a human being, (laughs) so I blow it. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Does that make sense? That happens to us all the time. But it is important to make this a principle in uh, in our heart that I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. He's on the run from Saul. Therefore, if I know all of that, I may just read the, from the top of the psalm down, your inheritance, everything, that all the what the Lord is doing. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh also will rest in hope. So the first part of that, my heart is glad. I'm I'm glad because of all of what God is doing and all of what he is going to do and that I have this inheritance, but my flesh or my glory rejoices, my heart rejoices, and I love this, my flesh also will rest in hope. That's this hope here on planet Earth, our hope in what is to come. So I'm resting what is in the future, not what our rest is not in heaven although it is the rest is now because of what is coming and who is that hope that hopes that hopes christ he says for you have not you will not leave my soul in sheol nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption so the first part of the verse david knows that because he is king he will not not only king but his inheritance of what is coming which is a future relationship with God, he says, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. For our purposes in the New Testament, that's Hades. In the Old Testament, they were a little fuzzy on the afterlife, and they thought that everyone went to Sheol. Good, bad. they If you were a follower of Jehovah God, it didn't matter everyone went to Sheol. Now, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus says there is a distinction between Lazarus and the rich man. And they, one went into Hades and one went into Abraham's bosom. And there was a separation from that. And so David says, hey, listen, you're not going to leave my soul in Sheol. That means I don't fully get it, but there is an eternity. Mary and Martha, when Lazarus is raised, we're going to sing that song as we end today rise up i know the resurrection is coming so they had some kind of idea through the teaching of christ he says you're not going to leave my soul in sheol nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption now that verse is a messianic verse the new testament picks it up and so you want that christ won't see corruption and he won't stay in that compartment verse 11 says for you will show me the path of life and in your presence is the fullness that means complete that's a thanksgiving turkey meal everybody know what that is where you have eaten way too much Catherine. that's even your salad you've had way too much and you are (laughs) full In your presence is the fullness of joy because of all of what he has done. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Last Psalm tonight, 17. Again, a prayer of David. It says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, and attend to my cry. Listen, the... Say what you will about David, but he prayed a lot, didn't he? He knew when he was in a tough spot, he knew when his relationship wasn't quite right, that he was going to the Lord. He says, attend to my cry and give an ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. (laughs) Lord, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. This is what's happening. Let my vindication come from your presence and let your eyes look on the things that are upright. Again, David has been maligned. He's been uh, a gossip against. I mean, the Nabal incident, Saul, and it goes on and on. He said, you have tested my heart, verse 3, and you had visited me in the night, and you have tried me, And found nothing and I've purposed that my mouth shall not transgress now please don't think verse 3 David is saying he is without sin that's not what he's saying neither is Job saying that when we get to him all Job is saying is that at this moment I don't know why this event is happening because his friends say Job you sin and he's like show me what sin David is saying the same thing it's not that David is sinless He just says, on this this situation with Saul and Nabal and these, uh, to my knowledge, Lord, I haven't done anything wrong. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, verse 4, by the works, the words of your lips, I have kept away, I'm sorry, I have kept away from the pass of the destroyer. So, concerning the works of men, what they're doing, And by the word of your lips, God's word keeps me away from the destroyer. What did Jesus say to Satan? (laughs) It is by the bread of God, the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. David says the same thing. He says, pulled my steps in your path that my steps may not slip. Lord, put my feet on the right path. And if I'm on the wrong path, then, (laughs) then I should go down. For I've called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear. The idea is to turn into, Lord, listen and hear my speech show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand oh you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against you're our dad take care of us when those are against us i love that show your marvelous loving kindness keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wings the protection of the lord listen When David says, keep me in the apple of your eye, that's something special, Lord. I am special to you. And hide me under your wings for protection. For the wicked who oppress me, and from my deadly enemies who surround me, for they have closed up (laughs) their fat hearts, and with their mouth they speak proudly. And they have surrounded us in our steps, and they have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. And as a lion eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in a secret place. But Lord, arise and confront him, cast him down, and deliver me, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword." You can feel David. He's like, I just feel this. Everybody is against me. But Lord, you take care of it. You deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. And with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with the hidden treasures, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. And as for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Verse 14, and with your, with your hand from men, Lord, what you've done, that, O oh Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill, look, look what David says, Even those who aren't following the Lord, the Lord, remember it says it rains on the just and on the unjust. Even the unjust benefit from the creator God who says they have their portion, notice, in this life. David makes the distinction between this life and the life to come. Guys, this is as bad as it's going to get for us but it's as good as it's going to get for them. He says, whose belly you will fill with hidden treasures, and they are satisfied with children, and they leave the rest of their possession for their babes. But as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. So they have this world, but what do we have? Look at it, verse 13. What we have is to see the face of God. When we get to the end of Revelation, you'll see that because we know that the Father is in spirit. And he even told, he told Mo that, remember? No one can see me and live, but it could very well be. Now, we'll see Christ, but it could be that in the new creation that we are able to see the Father. I don't know. It could be there are several verses that point us in that direction. He says, I will see your face in righteousness, (laughs) and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. We will be like him soon. We won't be gods, you in Salt Lake City. Not true. But we will be able to, what did he do when he uh, was resurrected? I like it. Walk through walls and yet still eat, have fellowship, touch me, he says. And yet Jesus was able to kind of transport himself all around. Wonderful things of what's coming. Behold, the end of Revelation says, I make all things new. I don't even know what that means. All I know is we're just going to go, this is way better than you could ever imagine. And it says, for the for the rest of eternity, we will be praising the Lord and saying how wonderful He is to us. Guys, we have an amazing inheritance coming. So don't worry about this planet. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to help those, Lord, who have rejected you, the no-godders that seek us out when times are difficult and tragedies in their life, and that we would be compassionate and loving in those situations and help people see Jesus for who He is, that He is the Son of God, and those who believe in Him will have eternal life. So thank You, Lord, for our time. We thank You for all that You have done for us and what You will still do soon in the future. Lord, that we are the apple of your eye, that we are special because we're the king's kids, and we have such a wonderful inheritance to come. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our night. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.